0: Well, good morning once again. So good to see each and every one of you. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and so thankful um, that you've joined with us to worship with us. Um, what a gift it is to be able to be together. Um, we are, if you're a guest with us, we're in a sermon series uh, and the Sermon on the Mount, and that is found uh, in Matthew 5, uh, chapters Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, Abby read for us from John chapter 10, which is going to connect directly to our text in chapter 7 this morning. But if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 13 here in a few moments. As we've worked our way through this text, through this sermon series, um, one of the things that I pray, I hope we've all grown and, and grown to understand and learn, is what Jesus was doing, what he is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, writing about the Sermon on the Mount, summarized this text, and when he said this, Jesus' objective in this sermon was to bring Christian people to realize first their nature, our nature, in a sense, what we are, what they are, then their character as a people, who we are, and then to show them how to manifest that nature and character in their daily life. What is it that we're after ultimately if it's not to manifest Christ, to display Christ to the world? And so Jesus began rightly, of course, because he's Jesus and he does everything, right? But he began rightly with the nature of who we are, like at the, at not, not what someone says about us, but, but ultimately who we are in our nature, and then, of course, the character that we reveal as human beings—we of all of God's creation—are the creation that can reflect and can has a character and can demonstrate that truth. And so, who we are is demonstrated in our character, and then we get to live that out. In this sermon series, and what Jesus was teaching us in Matthew chapter five through seven was ultimately how to live out who you are as a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, this is what you do. There's a drawing those correlations and those comparisons. Jesus' words beginning in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 12 of chapter 7, as he closed this section, as we talked about last week, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus was, in a sense, kind of summarizing or closing out, excuse me, not summarizing, but really closing out this section of his teaching. All of the Sermon on the Mount really wraps up with verse 12. And in verses 13 and following, these last few sections, really three statements from Jesus that we're going to look at closely over the next couple of weeks, really are the application, applying all that he's taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. When you go through preaching school, I know, blame the professors, it wasn't very good, but some of y'all got that. But when you go to seminary and they you take a preaching class, one of the things they teach you is that you have to apply the text. You can't just... Teach the text and just sort of teach what it says, but you have to give application. And so all throughout this sermon series, every time the reason it takes us longer to teach what Jesus taught in three chapters, it took us 29 weeks to work our way through this text so far, is because we're applying that. We're trying to apply it. Well, in a sense, what Jesus is doing here in verses 13, 14 and following is he is applying what he has taught us. Everything that he has shown us in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, verse 12, which sort of is the the sermon itself, now 13 and 14, is application. And I hope, if you've been with us since the beginning, some of you I know are new, and you can go back. By the way, you can catch up on this sermon series. Wherever you find a podcast, you can just find this series. You can catch up if you want to go back to the beginning. But if you've invested, if we've invested 29 weeks now in this text, an entire school year, that we would apply it that we would do something with it. And so that's really the question that, that, that we have for ourselves. What will we do with what we have learned? How will it affect? How will it impact? How will it change? How will it guide our lives? That's what Jesus is getting at here in verses 13 and 14. You know, we wouldn't go to school. I know we're wrapping up the school year. Some of our kids have been wrapped up now, it seems like, for weeks. But we're officially wrapping it up here in just a few weeks, the end of the school year. And any good teacher would want to know or want to say that their student would say they've learned something. And the way that Jesus, the way that we reflect sort of what we have learned as we've worked our way through this text is that we apply it. That it changes how we live. so... Let's look closely at what Jesus says as he begins to apply the Sermon on the Mount to his hearers and to us. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus, when he begins to apply the Sermon on the Mount and is describing, is sort of helping us understand, now that you know everything that I've taught you about who you are, what you are, and how you live that out in your daily lives, he says, let me describe for you two options in life, two ways of living. And he contrasts a narrow gate to a wide gate, the narrow path versus the wide path. the first thing that we can see in Jesus' application of this text when we think about who we are because of what Jesus has done in our lives, because of his grace and mercy transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, is he says that the way begins narrowly. The gate. Enter by the narrow gate. We all know that there are gates, and the gate ultimately protects or guards. Jesus, in what Abby read for us in John chapter 10, describes the pasture with a gate around it, protecting the sheep. And there's this gate, and as we enter through this gate, it's a narrow way. I've had the blessing and the, the, the fun of being able to travel over to Cowboy Stadium every now and again. If there's more opportunities, y'all can let me know about that. But every time, every now and again, I've been able to go over there, and a mass crowd you know, surrounds that stadium. And then as you come in, some of you have been to other events like it in various places. You have to come through and go through the little security thing, and it's a narrow way. And the mass of humanity trying to go through Slowly plodding along, and it protects. So Jesus says, in applying, as Christians, people who have been welcomed into the kingdom of God by Christ, he says that they live their lives, they go through life, and they have entered that life in a narrow way, through the narrow gate, not the gate that is wide open, but it begins narrowly. And this sets the stage for the way that all... Christians for all of human history are set apart, sort of distinctive and contrasted to the way of the world. There is however many people populating the earth right now, and Jesus says that the Christians stand apart. They look differently than all of the rest of the world because they've entered in through this narrow gate. As we contrast the narrow gate, Jesus Describes and he spends some words explaining the opposite. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Jesus describes the way of the many, how most people live. And what he says is that most people live going through life, entering through the wide gate in a way that is easy, and ultimately that way leads to destruction. To destruction. Do you remember what Jesus taught us in chapter 6, verse 1? As Jesus is starting to apply because he's described who we are and what we are in chapters 5, when he gets to 6, he says, Do not practice your righteousness before man. But consider that God is aware of you. God cares for you, and your life before God is what matters most. Stop trying to live for the praise of this earthly plane and sort of the horizontal plane and keep your attention on me. Keep your attention on God, he says. That's what he tells us to do. That's what he instructs us as we're to live this out. And as you think about this, this helps us, by the way, get a picture for how clear it is to Jesus, how understanding, how aware he is of our own temptation, of our flesh. Because do you know what's amazing? Jesus has told us not to practice our righteousness before others, not to try and live for the praise of man, but to live for the praise of God alone. And yet, knowing that that is true, and here telling us, the way of the wide gate, the way of the many is the easy path that leads to destruction. What happens so often in our lives? We fall all over ourselves to be accepted, to be adored, to be acknowledged by the many. We want the world to see us and praise us and accept us, and adore us, and all of that. And we'll do anything we can to earn, to try to receive the adoration of other human beings, completely forgetting our responsibility. What Jesus has called us to is to not live for that. And here what he's describing is how most people live. Most people live their lives too often so concerned about the ways of the world and all of the praise of man, and they forget who we live for. And we've got to get our minds around this reality that that's not who we are called to be. And the fact of the matter is is that we are a small minority group of people set apart by Christ because of his grace and mercy for a holiness to look different than the rest of the world. This is really challenging for us, by the way. See, the reality is when one of the great challenges of our time of uh, this culture is that we've forgotten that fact. We've forgotten that we are a minority people as Christians, that we are the few, that we are set apart, as we, many of us, have grown up here in the South, in the Bible Belt of America. If you weren't born and raised here, all of you got here as fast as you can because you saw the light and all of the holiness and just how great this place is, and so you came running, and we're grateful for that. But one of the challenges of this culture, and so many of us, if you have been around, and even some that came here, you were drawn here for this very reason, is that it seems as if everything is great Seems with it seems as if everyone is a Christian. Everyone practices the faith. Everyone follows Jesus. There are a few people, at least I can tell you, in my life growing up, if I encountered just about anyone in my life from birth until you know, college and, and, and even a little bit older, if I approached someone and I asked them, are you a Christian, they would say yes. There would not, may or may not be any evidence of Jesus actually in their life, but they would tell you that they're a Christian because that was the way of the culture And so we've been tempted, we've been lulled to sleep to believe that we can look like the world, we can do everything like everyone else in the world does and also be Christian. And what Jesus is doing for us here is he's saying, if you've heard my words, if you've listened to what I've been saying, I have told you that you are different. You have been set apart by me for a purpose and you do not look like the rest of the world. You have entered through the narrow gate The rest of the world is walking through the wide gates, the wide path that ultimately leads to destruction. We need to realize that we need to come to grips with that, that many people, many of our friends who we know and love are walking on the wide path, the wide path, which is easy, but it leads to destruction Now, one of the temptations when you hear that is you can start to feel sort of puffed up. You can say to yourself, well, I'm on the narrow path, so good for me. Sorry about these fools. That's not the way of Jesus either. See, Jesus has set us apart. He's he's called us to a life that looks differently for a purpose so that we might lead others to know him and to hear him and to listen to his voice so that we might proclaim with our lives what it is that we believe. Have you ever encountered that person who told you all of the things that they believed in? And I'm not speaking even spiritually speaking here or religiously speaking. They told you all the things they believed in, but then you knew them, and there was some little, something a little out of sorts. It's like when I hear people from Dallas who root for New York. <laughs> it just doesn't compute. There's something something in error there. It does, it, it, there's something wrong. Because if you're from here, then there's only one team. In the same way, if we look at the world and there's, there's people around us who might say whatever they might say, but their lives reflect, testify to something different. Our responsibility, what Jesus has called us to do, is in love, understanding what we have received in Christ to call out And let our lives reflect that. Don't just preach the gospel. Yes, preach the gospel. Yes, speak the gospel. Tell people about Jesus with words. But also, let your lives, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Let your lives reflect the inner character of who you are. Jesus, or excuse me, when, one of the great pictures of this for me is the movie Finding Nemo. And if you remember in Finding Nemo, the first Finding Nemo, there are all the fish that Nemo's out in the ocean side and somehow he gets trapped in the net with all the other fish and all the other fish have just sort of said, well, I guess we're going to die. That's the end of life for them. And they don't do anything about it. They're just thinking, OK, we're done for Nemo in his boldness and in his strength. What does he begin to do? He swims against the tide. He swims against the current. And he starts swimming down and he starts calling everyone else. No, if we swim down, swim down. If we do this, we'll bust the net. And he ultimately swims down and he gets everybody else to join with him. And they're freed into life. That in some ways reflects the mission of the Christian. That we are to call one another. We're to live lives. We're to proclaim and teach and share the gospel in such a way that everyone who is walking on that wide path which leads to destruction, knowing that it leads to true and eternal destruction, we say, no, I love you. Come with me, swim this way. But guess what you can't do? You can't call somebody to swim this way when you're swimming right beside them the other way. It won't work. You won't be effective. And so Jesus is saying, I have made you something. Because I have made you this thing, this is who you are, this is what you do. You enter, you walk through life on the narrow path, entering through the narrow gate. Jesus describes this narrow path in verse 14. And it's important that we hear this. The gate, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The gate that is wide, the gate that leads to destruction, that's the easy life. That's the life of doing whatever you want to do. And it seems easy until you figure out that all those things that you want to do, all those dreams that you chase will never satisfy. One of my favorite quotes is from a friend that said, one of the worst things that can ever happen to you is you can chase all of your dreams and you can ultimately accomplish your dreams and then you can find that they don't satisfy. What a terrible place to be. have spent your life, poured your life into something that you find out won't do what you hoped it would do. That's the easy way, though. Jesus says the way that leads to life is the hard way. Now, unfortunately, again, in our culture, there was a season in life where it seemed like the sharing of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel in an evangelistic me- way and telling people of Jesus was sort of this means of trying to say, if you follow Jesus, then everything in your life will be great. If you follow Jesus, if you'll go this way, then just it'll be all sunshine and roses. I don't know about you. Has anyone ever actually seen that happen? Hasn't been, it hasn't worked for me. I'm just going to tell you that it hasn't been that way. Following Jesus does lead to life, but he says here, he's very clear about it, and he says it so many other places in Scripture that the way of the Christian, the way that leads to life, is hard. It's not the easy way. Parents, you know how often... You try to encourage and instruct and guide your children not to fall into the temptation of peer pressure the easy way. Don't do those things. Stand up, be strong, be courageous. All of those things that we tell our children and we instruct them to and we try to help and we pray that they will do those things. Why is it hard? Because they're standing against a tide that is coming against them. Parents, if we are not doing the same, then what are we teaching them? We're saying, listen to my words, but don't worry about what I do. And children know the truth. They see it. It's evidenced in our lives. And so Jesus says that the way of the narrow path, following him, is hard. Narrow path, the hard life of following Christ, is a life of sacrifice. We follow Jesus. That means we model our lives after Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. His life was a life of constant sacrifice. And if we're going to look like Jesus, if we're going to reflect the character that he's called us to live, we are going to be people who sacrifice when it's not the easy thing to do. This morning, we celebrated our kids team and just thank them for those that have poured into our children's ministry in so many different ways. And guess what that means? They get up early. They sacrifice. They serve. They're here on this campus, not just for one hour, but they come and they serve in the first service and they come to worship in the second or flip flop. And so many of you are a part of that team. It's a life of sacrifice. It's giving of yourself. It's a life of sacrifice that even when you don't feel like it, you invite your neighbor over. Even when you don't feel like it, you make the phone call. Even when you feel like it, you show up. That's what it looks like, and it's not always easy. In fact, it's very often going to be hard. The narrow life is a life of humility. Jesus told us that it's in humility that we receive him. We humble ourselves, acknowledging the poverty of our spirit, how helpless we are on our own. And so we begin our life in Christ. We have to. The only way you begin a life in Christ is a life of humility, acknowledging how you are, who you are before God. And we continue that on and on and on all throughout our lives. We live this life of humility, considering others greater than ourselves, not trying to always get what is mine, not living for I, but living for others, living for the good and for the hopefulness and for the joy of others, giving of yourself in humility. The narrow path is also a life of gentleness. One of my favorite recent books called Gentle and Lowly describes two words, really the two words that most describe gentle, or Jesus is that he was gentle and lowly of heart. That's the words that describe him. And in gentleness, and guess what? Is that the way of the world? The way of the world, again, is I will beat you down. I will tell you what is right. I will fight you at any moment. That's not the way of Christ. The narrow path is a gentle way that we come alongside our friends, our brothers and sisters, and we gently encourage them and we help them see the truth. We help point them back to the hope that Jesus gives us. It's so ultimately, it's a life of looking and living differently, being mocked, sometimes being scorned, being left out. You know, Jesus told us, this is what they did to me, and I'm the master. What do you think they're going to do to you? And all too often, this is what we forget as believers. What did they do to Jesus? Jesus, God himself, How many countless miracles he performed before them. How often they saw him do amazing things. He is God in the flesh walking amongst us. And what did they do? They killed him. Now he laid down his life. They didn't do that without him just giving it. But they killed him. They mocked him. They they, they said terrible things about him. And if he's God, why would we ever think, if we're following the way of Christ, if we're living along the narrow path, that our lives would be different, that we would have it easy, that we would be receiving all of the praise and the adoration of the world? That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be hard. Ultimately, Jesus showed us that the narrow path is a life of suffering, It is a life of suffering. And once again, it seems too often as Christians in this culture, we do all we can do to insulate and protect ourselves from any form of suffering in any way. And no, suffering isn't fun. (laughs) Suffering is not something that I, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, all right, let's see, where can I find some suffering? Some of you do that at 4.30 in the mornings. You go to these gyms and all that other sorts of stuff. That's not me. I don't wake up thinking about how I can suffer. But that's the life that we're called to live, a life of suffering and more than physical pain. It's an emotional, a spiritual, an oppression that the world is constantly coming against us. That is why, by the way, this gathering is so precious I've told you over and over and over again so many times. I can't say that. There's probably, you're, this is one of the things you're probably tired of hearing me say. But I need you. I need this gathering. This is so vital to me because when I go out into the world, it is constantly and quickly coming against me at a rapid speed. When I come here, when I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I remember, yes, we are a small minority of the world. We are not the world, but we have one another. And when I'm encouraged and I'm I'm strengthened and I'm equipped and I'm blessed, this is why, by the way, so many Christians, essentially almost every Christian in the world with the exception of the American Christian church, finds the gathering, finds their Bibles so precious because they truly understand legally and otherwise what it means to truly be oppressed, what it means to be living a hard life. We don't really grasp that yet. It's starting to come a little bit, but we don't grasp it yet. And if you go to those other places in the world where I've had an opportunity to gather in low light, huddled underground in a basement for fear that the government might hear, I can tell you those believers, those Christians would do anything for that gathering. They would never forsake the opportunity to be with one another. Why? Because the second they take the steps up to daylight and they get out in the world, they are oppressed, literally. They could lose their lives proclaiming the name of Christ. The world is hard. The life of Christ is hard, but Jesus said, here's the beautiful thing. The narrow way is the hard way, but it leads to life. It leads to life. You know, once a year, maybe a little more often than that, our kids' ministry team does a cool thing where they, um, they bring the 4th and 5th graders, our 4th and 5th grade ministry, they bring them over to our house. Uh, and uh, Laurel and I get to host them. And one, sometimes we're getting to know these kids. It's kind of our first time to get to engage with them a little bit more. And uh, especially for me, because I'm usually in here, I'm not in there, where I'm uh, spending time with them. And so uh, they call it Stump the Pastor. And they come in and they get to ask me any question they would like, anything that's on their mind, anything they want to know. They get to ask me any question, and a lot of them take that very seriously. They find great joy in asking me a question that I don't know the answer to. Um, But one of my hopes in that time, I'm not trying to tell them how smart I am. That's not the point of that, 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 uh, that time together. What I do when I try to answer their questions is I try to show them that every answer to their question, I look back to Scripture. I open up God's Word, and I show them that the truth is found in the Word of God. But just last week, we had Stump the Pastor, and they all came over, and this young fourth grade girl, she had one of the best questions I've ever been asked, and she asked, how do we follow God and not follow the world? A fourth grader. So by the way, if your kids are in kids' ministry, they're being equipped and prepared to ask those kinds of questions, real questions, questions that matter so we should give thanks to God for what he's doing through that ministry. But she asked me that question. And ultimately, this is, she asked me the question that Jesus is answering here in this Sermon on the Mount, here in this text describing these two gates. This is what I told her. And I told the students, I said, this isn't a comprehensive answer, but this is my answer. How do we follow God? How do we keep on the narrow path rather than finding ourselves being tempted and led Onto the wide path which leads to destruction. First, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. We can know God. Do you know what separates us from all of creation? All of the rest of creation, no matter how beautiful and how powerful it might be, we are the creation of God that can know our Creator. That should blow our minds that we can know our Creator. I want you to go home. I want you to get your kid's Lego system out. And I want you to build something. And I want you to ask that thing to know you. It's not possible. We can know our creator. And we know him through his word that he's given to us to know him. So read your Bibles. And read your Bibles not to find your place in the story. One of the things that I know sometimes when we read our Bibles, what we might do... Many of us, we face a situation trying to figure out where we should go to lunch after church. What does the Bible say about eating lunch after church? And we type that into Google and we try to figure out where it is that the Bible tells us that answer. But that's not how we should approach the word of God first. Yes, it's helpful to try to find an answer to something as we're facing life's challenges. But read your Bibles to know God to actually know him because when you know God when you have that type of a relationship and you can say confidently that I know God I know who he is I know his character I know his nature then all of the things of the world all the suffering and the hardship that so often comes with this life it gains perspective we understand it more see when I am in a place of suffering when I've been left out when I've been Helpless, when I haven't known the answer to some of life's challenge, whatever those might be, I can remember that I know God. And because I know him and I know he knows me, I know that this, whatever that thing is, is a temporary thing. I know it's not the eternal thing. I know it's not the thing that's going to last. I know that pain is going to one day subdue. Because I know him. Read your Bibles to know God. Second, pray. Pray privately and pray corporately. Once again, we can know our Creator, and more than we can know our Creator, we can have relationship with Him. And we have a relationship with God through prayer. And so begin your days in prayer, spend the middle of your days in prayer, end your days in prayer, gather with other believers in prayer, Pray. How many of us, again, it's something this, I I guarantee every single one of you, at some point in the last month has said to yourself, I need God to do something. I need God to intervene here. I need God to answer this request. I need God to show me the way. I need God to do, and there's something in that blank that for each and every one of us, it's different. We can't expect to experience the power of God if we don't seek the power of God, and the way that we do that is through prayer, and we have an opportunity that is, you don't, there's no limitations on that. I told the fourth graders because I wanted to make sure they were really clear on this. I know in kids' team and kids' church, they kind of clap their hands together and they say their prayer. They begin their time in prayer, heads bowed. And there is a posture of humility before God. Sometimes in the Bible, how often we see prayer described as laying on the floor in prayer, getting prone before God, understanding His holiness, how big He is compared to our smallness. And that's a right thing to do very often. But sometimes... You don't have to pray in that way. I drive down the street in prayer. Yes, I'm focusing on the road, don't worry. But very often, I'm, I'm having a conversation with God. and That's not because I'm more holy than any one of you. It's just because I understand I need God. I need to know him. I want to see him at work. And so we have to pray. Every so- fourth Sunday of the month, except for this one, <laughs> we gather in prayer. Excuse me, second Sunday of every month. It was Mother's Day. We, gave, we, we took some time to pray and praise our mothers. But every, almost every second Sunday of the month, of the year, we gather together to pray for one another corporately. And God is at work in that. And so second way to stay on the narrow path is to pray. And third is to find real gospel community. To seek it out. To be in relationship where you're you're vulnerable with other people, where you are known. We talked about knowing God and seeking God, but we also need to be known. And God has blessed us, has given us one another. And he's given us one another to give ourselves to one another. That life of sacrifice and serving, one of the ways that we manifest that is that we commit our lives to one another, to meet together in community Obviously, we can do that here on Sunday mornings, but there's only so far that we can go in terms of building those relationships here on a Sunday morning. So the way that we do that, I know many of you are new. You've asked this question of us, and we'll have these conversations periodically. Well, how do I find that community? We don't have the Sunday school class or the life group or community group that many churches in our world have that kind of make that that on ramp, and that's okay. Our way is a little bit messy. We call it fight clubs. And at some point, it was said, the first rule of fight clubs is you don't talk about fight clubs. And that was probably a problem. We didn't talk about it enough. That's not how it should be. We, what a fight club is, is a few people, two or three, not a huge group, commit to one another. They relationship, have a relationship. They meet somebody. You meet someone here in our church through one of our men's ministry events or a women's ministry event or here on Sunday morning. You connect with someone and you say, I want to walk with you. I want to spend time Opening God's word together. And we're going to commit our lives to doing that. And so one of the things, if you're asking yourself, well, I don't know how to get that started. I don't know who to ask. I don't know who to talk to. That's one of the things you can come down. I always am standing down front. That's one of the things you can come down front. I love a chance to talk with you about that, to help you connect to a few other believers where you could commit your time once a week to saying, we're going to get together and open God's word how many of us in our social relationships, the friends that God has given us, how often do we open God's word together with those friends? I would submit to you that more often than not, when you gather together, there's some family talk, there's some business talk, some kid talk, playing with the kiddos, whatever. And maybe at the very tail end of that time, you might say, oh, can, can I pray for you? Or something was said, and you pray for that person. And that's, that's sweet, and that's good. But imagine what would happen If you committed your life to two or three other people, and you said, we're going to get together on purpose, and we're going to begin opening God's word, and we're going to start in God's word, and then we'll get to talking about the kids, talking about life, talking about whatever else is going, and we're going to talk about those things through the lens of scripture. That's what a fight club is. It's messy. We understand that. It's very organic, but here's what it also is, is it's free. You can do that whenever, however you want in the... Church isn't responsible for trying to organize or manage all of that. That's why we do it in that way. But I'd love a chance to talk with you about that. Get in your Bibles. Read your Bibles to know God. Pray to seek God and seek his power. And third, get in community. This is how we stay on the narrow path. And ultimately, that is the path that Jesus said leads to life. You go back to John chapter 10 that Abby read for us beginning in verse 7 Jesus said to them he's describing after he gave this picture of the gate and those who entered the gate or come over the fence not through the gate but over the fence in this way he says to them truly truly I say to you I am the door to the sheep all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep do not listen to them I am the door Jesus is saying of himself he knows what he's going to say, what he already said, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He is the narrow gate. He is the narrow way. Come to God through me. This is the only way. And as he's described there, those people, those, the thieves and robbers, they come over the fence. They don't go through the gate. They come over the fence. All of the things that we pursue in our lives, think about all of the things that you tried before you met Christ before you knew God. I tried this, didn't satisfy. Stole life from me. Robbed me of life. Robbed me of joy. Didn't satisfy any of those things. But Jesus, he says that you come to me. You come through me. And I give you life. And he says that he gives us life in abundance. This is the everlasting life. This is the Life of joy in the face of suffering. We all see it. We've seen Christians around the world who are in the midst of suffering under great persecution, even being led to their deaths. And they do that with joy. What kind of person being led to their death has joy? The kind of person that understands the life that Christ came to give, the abundant life. Life that cannot be taken by another man. That's the life that Jesus came to give us. And he said, I created you to be this. The Sermon on the Mount. I gave you this character. This is who you are. Manifest that as you live that out. And show the world what it looks like to be a Christ follower who endures all of the hardships of this world and does so with joy and with hope, knowing Knowing what is coming for us. Peter said these momentary afflictions, this momentary affliction, it pales in comparison. It cannot, You cannot even understand how it contrasts to the weight of glory which waits for us. The weight of the glory, the hope that we have in Christ. That's what Jesus came to give to us, to give us that life. So as we close, I want to encourage you Christians, let us be a people who walk and live life according to who we are, who Christ has made us to be on the narrow path. If this morning you don't know Christ, you don't know you're confused by all that I've said, that's great. You're in the perfect place because here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to hear. All of the things that you have tried. Those were thieves and robbers trying to jump into your life over the fence. And Jesus is calling to you this morning saying, come and enjoy life. Have life in abundance. Find your life in me alone. If you would do that, you'd have everlasting life. Life of hope. Not a life that is free of pain or suffering in this world, but life that will last. That's the life that Jesus came to give us. That's the life that Jesus called us to. So I'd encourage you as we sing, as we marvel at the cross, at what Christ did for us, I'd invite you, perhaps you just need to stay seated in your chair in prayer and just receive the love of Jesus, receive the gospel, receive that hope. Jesus coming to you, saying, I came to give you life. I came that you might have it in abundance. Would you just believe that that's what I'm here to do? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us this morning as your people to be a people who walk on the narrow path, who choose to follow you on the narrow path. Yes, that path is hard, Jesus, but you are so familiar with it. You are not unaware of the pain and the suffering. In fact, you are the model of that for us. You lived the perfect sinless life and yet were scorned ultimately led to the cross. So I pray that you'd help us to be a people who follow you, who are obedient. Help us to be a people set apart, not so that we might boast upon our own holiness, but that we might testify to who you are with our lives. Help us every day to ask the question of that little girl who asks, how do I follow God and not follow the world? What a beautiful and sincere question. What a heart to want to be like you, Jesus. Help us to all have that desire. For anyone in this room, Anyone that can hear the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Savior, doesn't know the life that you have came to give, doesn't know the joy of following you, I pray, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Show them how all those who have come before you were thieves and robbers. They didn't have any life to offer, but you have a life of abundance. Not abundant in the way that we so often think of it, but a life of abundance and you, you came to give us life that cannot, will not end. Help us to turn to you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Sing it A great amazing truth to remember the great love of Christ that he has for us something to truly marvel at um, and I can tell you I am not one who considers myself worthy of that and yet he loves me that's why we marvel it's amazing truth I pray you're encouraged by that this morning as we close I want to share with you just a few announcements First of all, this evening, um, we will gather back together at 5 p.m. for our very first night of worship. Uh, our worship team has been working uh, over the last few weeks um, to just prepare an evening of singing and prayer for us, and uh, it's the first time we've ever done this, and I don't know about you, is anyone else blessed by just singing with the church, hearing uh, the Word of God sung? I um it encourages my heart and soul so much. And so I'm, so I'm really excited about the opportunity to be able to be back together this evening um, just to sing and to uh, join together. So I want to encourage you to be here this evening at 5 o'clock. And uh, be a part of that. Um, Child care is provided for that, and so uh, it's just going to be a great evening together. Second, we had our baby bottle campaign that we kicked off last weekend in support of Hope Women's Center, which is our local crisis pregnancy center. And so we love the ministry of Hope Women's Center. Many of you are a part of that ministry in volunteering or even in prayer. And uh, and so I want to encourage you if you didn't get a chance or you decided you want another one, we got some more baby bottles. The generosity of the church, we ran out last Sunday, and so hope. was so thankful for the fact that we ran out and they are uh, giving us, uh, they gave us some more. So you can go into the cafe and pick up a baby bottle and uh, then return that to us on Father's Day. And so, uh, and just fill that with coins uh, and dollars. Um, Try to get $50 in there. It's a great way for you to have conversations with your kids about the sanctity of life and just the opportunity that we have to support this great ministry. And so grab a baby bottle on your way out. Uh, And then uh, next Sunday is Senior Sunday. Um, it'll be a very special day as we bless um, our seniors and as we um, really uh, send them out in some way, mobilizing them to go to wherever God might be leading them if they're leaving home um, or otherwise, just to continue to live on mission for Christ. And so I uh, wanted you to be aware of that. It's going to be a really special day. But here's one of the ways that you can help us. Um there's going to be a lot of, we're hosting a lunch for those seniors and their families, which means we'll have a lot of those families, uh, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, seventh and eighth cousins um, will be with us in service. They're having that lunch right after service. So they're gonna be here at the 1030 worship gathering. And so if you're not directly connected to one of those seniors in some way, I would ask, we would ask that you'd help make room for all of those guests by coming to our 9 a.m. worship. So if you can be at the 9 a.m. service service uh, next weekend um, so that we can have room for uh, the senior families that are going to be here. We would really appreciate uh, you blessing them. By the way, don't worry. At the 9 o'clock service, you're going to get to see them and bless them and pray over them in all of the same ways. So it's going to be a great weekend. Um, but uh, So I don't want you to feel like you're missing out by that, but it'll help us, those families. The families will be showing up at the 1030 service so they can stay for lunch. Finally, speaking of young people, it's been our heart. You've heard, if you've been around our church for any time, we planted this church seven years ago, and since the beginning, one of the things that we greatly desired was to have an opportunity to mobilize, and being a mobile church for a number of years, it was really challenging for us, but now having this place this is our first full summer here, having a campus and a spot, uh, just a home and offices that are coming and all of that, uh, we have the great joy of welcoming our first ministry intern, um, Kendall Bates. Kendall, come up. Uh, and uh, so that everybody can meet you and see you. Um, here's what I, I, I'm so excited about. Kendall, um, fresh off a deep NCAA run with the uh, Fighting Texas Aggies in soccer. Yeah, by the way, t- 930 had no whoops, so they are terrible Aggies, and, uh, uh, and so you guys are better. Um, anyhow, but uh, uh, she emailed me uh, a number of months ago and just said, I, um, I know my college career, my soccer career is coming to an end, Um, And I have just a heart for ministry. I I, I love the church, and I am just trying to really find out how God might use me in that calling. And so um, she just asked if there was a way she could serve our church. And man, what an amazing email to receive from a young lady who has a desire to just just pursue that calling. And so we're so thankful to have our very first ministry intern, Kendall, here with us all summer, Um, just being equipped and trained. And um, we hope mobilized to go out even from this place at some point to do ministry she's going to be serving with. our student and kids teams and just various other areas. You'll see her all summer long helping out with a lot of the various things. So um, I want you to know her, but I also just want us to all thank God for what he's doing in her life and in our church, that there are young people being raised up that have a desire uh, to follow him and to pursue ministry and what a gift it is to be able to welcome her to our team. So we're so thankful she's here. So you can be in prayer for her. Um, She's kind of, even this morning had just a million things hit her all at once, which is life of ministry in the church. And so uh, pray for her and encourage her as you have an opportunity to do so. She's going to stay down front. If you want to come say hello to her and just thank her for being here. I'm also going to be down front for a few minutes right now. If you want to know, hey, how do I get connected with one of those fight clubs? Um, come talk to me. Or if I can just pray with you or encourage you in any way, I'd love an opportunity to do that. So love you guys. We'll see you back here this evening at five. And uh, until then, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.